my lovely parent friends, and apparently we are still friends. And on episode 28 of the Teen and Tween Parenting Podcast, I am your cruise director, Dr. Nikki Naradin, here to help you through that tempestuous, often difficult, but lovely, rewarding, and fulfilling journey we call parenting. And I'm so glad to be here with you. I'm glad that I get to do this every week and I get to talk to you about the things that I know and the things that I learn and the things that I experience. And not because I know more or I learn more or I experience more. It's just because that's where my attention is heading. And I know that I didn't get the kind of support I needed in order to make my way through. And I'm committed to trying to figure out how to give everybody the support that will help them through. And so that's why I keep coming up with all these ideas and I really love sharing them with you. So what's been going on? I'm trying to be pretty relaxed about all of this because for me, unless I'm relaxed about this and not too worried and not thinking too much, then I'll get a podcast out every week and I can share information every week. But the second it starts feeling hard, the second it starts feeling onerous, the second it starts feeling like a chore, I'm not sure whether I could muster up all of the teeth gritting whatever I need in order to make a podcast come out. I mean, I'll do it, but it'll feel hard and then it'll be hard to do. So I'm I'm just thinking about that in terms of parenting. You know, I think that probably the, the goal is to have as much fun as possible and assume that through fun comes clarity and through fun comes an understanding of your child's mind and through fun comes confidence and through fun comes loyalty, understanding and really peace. So that was just a little tangent. And It's kind of a tangent that comes off of a podcast that I was just a guest on. Uh, And the podcast was one done by the lovely Ray Tsai, who is also a uh, certified coach and a master certified coach. And she does the Asian Life Collective podcast. Now you might be saying to yourself, what am I? A white Jewish girl from New York presently working in Nome doing on the Asian Life Collective podcast. And it's a bit of a story, but I lived in Taiwan for two years, learning Mandarin and teaching English. And I've had a lot of experience with families because I was teaching English to young people. And then my children are both Mandarin speakers. Uh, They went to a bilingual Mandarin English school on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And so I've just seen a lot of family interactions. And so I think Ray just wanted me on because I'm also a coach who thinks about this and thinks about parents and really tries to figure out how to take care of marginalized communities well. And so each marginalized community, meaning, you know, kind of outside of what the dominant community is within a society. So the further away you are from white, middle-class, Protestant, male, heterosexual, probably the closer you are to the external borders of whatever community is, 
So a marginalized community ends up kind of being treated by society in harsher ways that the system has not been set up to make the go through easier. And the harshness that happens outside seems to be repeated as harshness inside the home from the parent to the child with the idea that if you recreate the harshness, you're kind of preparing your children for whatever the difficulties are outside of the home. Well, I just wanna tell you that I think exactly the opposite is true. We actually don't prepare our children that way. What we end up doing is we end up creating an unsafe space or an uncomfortable space or a space where they can't be themselves and do whatever they wanna do at home and on the outside. So my thought is that actually we have to do the opposite. We have to create the most loving, compassionate, curious, fun environment that we possibly can. So we can shore up and build up the relationships at home so that our kids can be completely confident and completely ready to go out into a world that somehow might not treat them fairly. Now we think somehow they won't be prepared for it, which I find so fascinating. If anything, our children are more prepared for it because they can see it clearly and they're not as confused by it because it isn't happening to them all over the place. If it's not happening to them at home, then the fact that it's happening outside of the home almost makes them need and want to change as much as they possibly can because they know about the possibilities of what could be. And once you understand the possibilities, then you can go about discerning and thinking about what the changes might possibly be and not coming from a place of deep, intense anger and deep, intense confusion, but from a place of independence, and confidence and determination. Those are the feelings that you need in order to change a world. And you can do that if you actually have that kind of support at home. Now, I think the other reason why things might feel so harsh is because we feel like, like we're almost scared when our children go out into the world that something will happen to them. And so we need to put almost a little barrier up between us and them, not give it an evil eye. In the Jewish religion, and there's a Yiddish word called a kanina her or the evil eye. It's almost like you don't want to love anything too much, but you definitely don't want to love your kids too much because if something happens to them, then you will just be destroyed. And you want to kind of stave off all of the destroying before it ever happens. So it's so interesting how we want to kind of destroy something before the destruction ever happens because we don't want to be hurt or disappointed. But I think that we should love as fully as possible with the thought that something might happen or might not happen, but generally things don't happen that are so incredibly destructive. And then we get to have this big, joyous, wonderful life where we get to love somebody so fully. And that somebody we get to love is the person that we love most in the world, which is our children. I mean, why did we have them? 
We have them because we wanted them. Why do we try to protect them? We protect them because we deeply love them. And this is our duty to protect the person that we love. So let's do it with compassion. Let's do it with curiosity. Let's do it with deep admiration. Let's do it with big open ears and open hearts and love our children. And then know that once your children go out into the world, they will be okay. So we are not going to replicate the harshness of what happens in the outside world at home. We're going to do the exact opposite. So play. Play, 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 and have fun, fun, fun. And the reason why I was thinking about that is because on the podcast, when she was asking, how do you have fun? It's almost an inherent birthright for us to play and have fun. And it's something that had been taken away from us because it's not serious enough. In our estimation, it doesn't somehow get us to whatever the goal is that we want. So we lose the ability to play. And we're told this idea that actually play is not useful. So you watch us kind of play with our children while they're young, and we're enjoying that, maybe a little bit bored. And then we might play with them as they get older, but the games get a bit more structured. And then eventually we let them play themselves and we don't end up playing. And because I think of our inherent need for play that ends up happening until much further on, even further than we believe, that we look to somehow have play in ways that are externally focused. You know, we need to have a game that we can play in. We need to have some activity where we can relax and kind of play, so to speak. So I think we end up nurturing behaviors that are not so healthy for us, like drinking. Like we don't believe that we can actually play without being drunk. So if you go to a a friend's game night or something, I'm sure that there's alcohol there, but there's no need. You can actually have fun without it. So I want you to figure out how to play and how to have fun and how to be tickled with your own mind and how to decide that you're kind of loving what's going on in your mind and you're loving watching what's going on around you. Don't take it so seriously. Just be relaxed about the whole thing. So that was my little rant about my Asian Life Collection podcast and also just about how we don't have to recreate the harshness at home. But I did want to talk about something else, which kind of came to me the other day. I have a cousin, a first cousin, who's much, much, much younger than me, who's actually in jail right now. And he's been in jail for quite some time. And his mother, who has estranged the rest of the family, passed away. And I am the only one that actually had a relationship with her and has a relationship with him. So I've kind of become the person that speaks to him almost every day when I'm back in New York. I don't have connectivity in Nome, so it's a little bit hard to speak to him. And I get to hear how hard things are for him. So let's talk about harshness, harshness within the prison system. And I call it the prison industrial system because really they're kind of running people through it is out of control. And so he actually did something pretty amazing. My cousin was told very early on that he was stupid, that he would have no future by his mom. And he, in jail, learned how to draw. 
And he is self-taught and he draws beautifully. And he would ask me constantly to send him books on how to draw, send him papers and pencils from the Blick site. And I would do that. And he turned into an incredibly proficient drawer. And then he started drawing cards for other inmates so that they could send to their girlfriends or mothers for holidays. And he kind of worked a little business in there. Now, I wasn't particularly happy about having to take over the role of his caretaker when his mother died. She was the one that took all of his calls and she would hear all of the hard things. But now I was the person that did that. So I knew that my cousin was able to actually change something and learn how to draw and become this incredible artist, something that he had never done before, something that he was actually discouraged from doing before when I had spoken to him. But life in there was still really hard. And he was convinced and sure that the guards were targeting him for whatever crime he committed and that they were pitting the other inmates against him because there's kind of this hierarchy about what crimes you do. And the particular crime he did is one that seemed to get a lot of people attacking him, whether it be the guards or whether it be the other people around him. So I would have to hear about his horrible situation and try to help him get out of it. Now, his situation wasn't horrible all the time, but there was a way in which he was constantly on alert, constantly vigilant about it, constantly noticing whatever was going on around him that he was almost looking for and creating that situation every moment of his life. And so I felt like all we did whenever we spoke was I listened to him and tried to get off the phone as much as I possibly could. But then I remembered that he is the same person who taught himself how to draw and decided he was an artist and decided that he was probably one of the best self-taught artists that he knows. And I realized that he actually had more control over what he believed he had control over because all of our conversations had been about where he has absolutely no control. And so then I started coaching him and started helping him understand that actually he has complete control of his mind and he has control about how he shows up and he has control about who he wants to be, what the possibility is for him. And I started sending him all the books by Wayne Dyer. I started sending him some Gabby Bernstein books. He started reading some books, some self-help books, some Tony Robbins books everything he could. And then he started turning himself into the version that he envisioned in the future. Now, the reason why I'm talking about him on the Teen and Tween Parenting Podcast is because he's quite a bit younger than me. And so I feel like in some ways I had to parent him. But I think that that is a possibility for all of us, that we give our children the ability and the knowledge to know that they can show up however they choose to show up. Now, maybe they choose to show up feeling somewhat victimized and you could listen to that. But when you listen long enough and when you play long enough and when you don't buy into the fact that they are a victim, when you don't buy into the fact that they have no control, when you don't buy into the fact that everything is related to their external circumstance and that they have some control over how they show up, over who they want to be, 
over who they want to become and that nobody defines that, then everything could possibly change. So that's where we have the trust and the ability to know that our children can go out in this world and make whatever mistake they might make or might not make and be okay, that we trust them fully. And that's part of the reason why I coach people on worry, because worry is that little addictive kind of record that goes over and over again, telling us that the world is unsafe. And when we pass that worry on to our children, we tell them that the world is unsafe, that they are unsafe in it, and that they can't be trusted to be out in that world, and that we needed to worry as much as we could in order to attempt to keep them safe. But the truth is, is we don't keep them safe. We keep them actually at risk because when they believe all of that about themselves and internalize it, they're going to go out and find other people that might believe in them, or they might decide it's not worth it and take all the risks that they can, or they might try to stop all the feelings that they have related to that and go off and do whatever buffering behavior, whatever behaviors they need to do to feel okay. Or they might go within themselves and get really depressed or get extremely anxious. And really in that situation, we are creating no safety at all. And the reason why they're going out and doing this is because they don't want to manage our feelings. They don't want to take care of our feelings of worry. This is not their job. It's our job to take care of our feelings of worry. So once I stopped worrying about my cousin in jail, And once I believed in his ability to actually shift something, to change some situation, to find some joy, to possibly find one friend, then everything turned around. And the interesting part was he called me the next day and he said that somebody that he knew from a different jail actually had moved in. And this was somebody who could vouch for him, somebody who knew how good he was, somebody who knew that he wasn't a troublemaker and actually vouched for him within the community he was in at that moment. Something turned around. Now, I don't know if the universe just provided something by him believing it, or if he could just notice that because his attention was put in that direction. So he took his attention off of being worried, scared, victimized, and always ready for a fight to a place where he believed that there was somebody that actually had his back when he had his own back. And so things were better. So I welcome you all to actually decide that your children are capable of things and that your worry doesn't help them to go out and necessarily do the right thing. And once you have their back, but also stay there, stay listening, stay noticing, put a boundary up when you absolutely need to and play, 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 then you will have a safer home. All right, if any of this resonates with you, I am here and ready to help. I have my six step to stop worrying program and then I'm offering coaching. So give me a shout out. Give me a shout out at Nikki at drnikkinaridan.com and we can do 
a consultation, we can create an individualized plan for you. I know that you can change this around. I know that you can keep your family safe. I know that you got this. And it's my job to actually make sure that I have your back and that I have complete faith that you can do this and turn this around for you and your family. All right. I love you guys. And I'll speak to you next week.